I'm good, man. All right, well, let's rock and roll. Let's hit record. Let's make it happen. All righty. Sweet. Well, hello, hello, and welcome to the Rock Metal Podcast. I'm your host, John Harris. Today on the Rock Metal Podcast, we have a very special episode. It's like a power talk series, Chris, because we have the president of Eclipse Records right here, Chris Poland, who's going to be sharing some wisdom, some insights. He's going to be telling us about Eclipse Records. He's going to be telling us, at least from his perspective, I guess, how the music industry works. So, Chris, thank you so much for coming on to the show. Thanks for having me. Been a while. It has been a while. So, Chris, <laughs> we've been working together now for probably four years. Probably. Yeah, I, I have no idea. So many people, but I know you've been around a long time for us. Uh, thank you for all the support. It's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for, you know, we were joking about gold records on the walls, but I don't think there are any bands on your roster that suck. Thanks. Yeah, I don't either. <laughs> Well, that makes two of us. <laughs> I think, you know, for me, it's really important that um, yeah, the, the bands that I work with that I can get excited and motivated about uh, because you know, it, it takes a lot to do this day after day. And if you don't, if you're not doing something that you're passionate about, it's a lot harder to do. So I, I like my day to be easy and fun. And by working with bands I'm excited about, uh, it really helps. Yeah. It helps me get out of bed in the morning and do this. You know, it's been 20 years I've been doing this now full time. Wow. Um, yeah. 90. Let me see. Uh, well, I started it in 97. And uh, when Mushroom Head hit for me, that's when I left my day job, which was I was a product manager at a distribution company. I managed. I was like the uh, liaison at the distributor for about 86 or 87 different record labels. So I would sign record labels, and I would be their interface between the label and the distribution company. So I would help them gather their sales points, put them all into reports, and then relay that information to our sales reps who could relay that information to the buyers at brick-and-mortar retail. So I left there in 2001, and it's been ever since. Yeah. Wow. So then you've been in the music industry for a while. What inspired starting Eclipse? <laughs> I used to be in a band and I wanted to be a rock star, <laughs> but I didn't know how to be a rock star. I didn't even know how you be really like get people to know your band other than playing at the local club. And it was before the internet and all that. So, um, you know, I used to see hear these amazing things called record companies and they were the key to being a rock star. And, um, you know, it was really hard to find out even how to get in touch with record companies back then, other than sending a demo package in the mail to a P.O. box. And that was pretty much it. And we're going to have a visitor here. Um, she might step in a little bit. No worries. Uh, she's printing but, uh, something but, uh, and needs to get the printout. Yeah, she's got to get the printout. Um, and uh, you know, it was basically, you know, for my band, to try to help my band, I started a record company. And um, you know, we thought, you know, just having a logo on the back of our cassette tapes would help make a difference and um you know so i started the label for the band and uh while the band was still together i started putting together compilation cassettes then compilation cds and then the band broke up and i just stuck with the label and ran with the label and i actually enjoyed working with other bands and found that you know for for me um what i really i learned that what i really liked about being in a band i could also really like and even love about doing the same types of things for other bands you know like i was into playing and you know studio time i think was my favorite 
And, you know, I think also it's important just right off the bat, like I'm not the same Chris Poland that was a mega death, right? Cause some people make that assumption and, you know, so it's, we just happen <laughs> to have the same name and I used to be in a band, but that's not, you know, so let's just get that cleared oh, out. Oh. But, uh, well, there but, goes yeah, that. It, that was my only question, Chris. <laughs> and, uh, it was really an issue of, you know, the things I enjoyed doing with my band, I found that I can enjoy doing with other bands. And it was a lot easier because, you know, when you're in. It'll, um, you know, they're learning from you, you're learning from them. So, you know, I've enjoyed the label a lot more than I ever enjoyed being in a band. Yeah, all the, I guess what you call, managerial aspects of being in a band? Yeah, yeah, well, you know, when I was in a band, and, you know, they were a great bunch of guys, really talented, um, but, I, you know, aside from uh, being in the band, I was doing all the work. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I wasn't booking shows, you know, our singer yeah. was booking shows, but I was handling the money, I was handling the networking, and the letters in the mail, and the fax machines, and the writing, and the answering, it was a lot back then, so... You know, we would get together, we would write music and stuff, but, you know, it just seemed like, you know, I'm putting a lot of effort into this and um, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't have as much control as I would like because, you know, when I was in a band, I wanted to be able to steer my own destiny, not have to compromise with others to be able to get where I wanted to go. And I didn't even really realize that until the label started getting traction. You know, once the label started taking off and I realized I didn't have to get back into another band, um, I said, you know, I think I'm just going to stick with this because yeah, it, it, I can steer the ship a lot better on my own than with three other people. Even though they were great friends and we're still good friends to this day, mm -hmm. uh, it just made more sense to, you know, do what I love to do with this instead of being in a band anymore. And, you know, it's a bit of a bummer because I miss playing guitar a lot. I was pretty good. I practiced like 14 hours a day pretty much all my life growing up since like fifth grade through like, you know, my mid to late twenties. So I got pretty good. Um, but, and I enjoyed it a lot, but, uh, I enjoy working with my bands more and I live through their success now. You know, it's kind of how I live. My dream is through theirs. Vicariously. Yeah. That's the word. Right. Yeah. Well, there's a guitar on the wall behind you, Chris. You could just play that. Yeah, I could, but it's too far. I mean, <laughs> you know, I have to turn the chair around, you know? Very true. Now, something you, you mentioned there was uh, record labels were this mysterious thing, but they were the key to success. And I, I get that question a lot from bands. We want a record contract. We want to work with a record label. And I always return the question, what is this thing that you want? And they can't answer it. So... <laughs> They know they want it, but they don't know what a record label is, and they don't know what a record contract is. Uh, and we're all familiar with that scene from Airheads where he wipes his ass with a record contract. You know? <laughs> yeah. uh, but I guess take us through, if, you, if it was this mysterious thing, how did you start one? How did you know, like, I guess, what to start? And at what point did it gain traction? Were you now, or I've gotten to a point where you understood this is a record label, or this is how it should function? Wow. Um, well, the first thing I did was try to figure out a name and it, it started with spider records, mm. but it sounded cool. I like spiders. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, but there was a spider records doing electronic music in Canada. I found out. So that got changed. So then I thought of eclipse and there was no eclipse record. So I said, let me stick with that. Then the next thing was a logo. And the next thing was setting up a business entity. So I went to a local 
lawyer, not an entertainment lawyer, just a regular old lawyer, set up a corporation, registered a subchapter S corporation, and um, you know, bank accounts and all that stuff, got the business aspect of it set up, which is really important. A lot of bands don't even really do that. It's still one person who handles everything. They're doing it out of their personal accounts. It's important to separate your business from personal stuff because at the end of the year, when it comes to tax implications and stuff, funneling through your personal bank account can really create some problems for you. So I wanted to get everything separated right off the bat. I knew that that was important. And then uh, I think one of the first big steps that helped me with the record company was joining a trade organization. At the time, it was called AFM, which was the Association for Independent Music. Uh, uh, yeah, AFM. And uh, they're no more. They disappeared about 15 years ago or so. But uh, from AFM, I started networking with other labels and other management companies and booking agencies and distributors. And um, then I got involved with NARM, the National Association for Record Merchandisers, or another trade organization in the music business. And uh, I learned about publishing, and I created a publishing entity for you know our, our compositions that we handle on behalf of the bands and stuff. And just one thing kind of led to another. But I think where I really started learning the ropes, you know, it, well, it started off with trial and error doing these compilation CDs. And then one or two bands off the first compilation CD, I ended up putting out their CDs. And it was a lot of trial and error. You know, I remember like, you know, calling record stores and asking. a trial and error back then like that but where things really started to sink in and i started really learning was when i um got hired at big daddy music distribution and um i was you know worked with burt goldstein and doug bale um they hired me to kind of bring their marketing department into the computerized age they were putting out new release books for their labels on a copy machine and cut and paste on a you know i mean it was really old school like a paper cutter, copying, taping things together, photocopy on a thing, and making duplicates of that and sending that out as a new release book and selling CDs to chains like Best Buy and Tower Records with that. Well, they brought me in because I had some computer skills to kind of take their new release book to the next level, help all their labels do one sheets and get that stuff into the new release book that went out every two weeks to all the buyers around the country. And then from there... They kind of just let me have free reign in terms of bringing in new record companies to work and be distributed by Big Daddy. And from that, it kind of started me being the liaison between all these record companies and our sales force there. So yeah, it's just kind of one thing led to another in that regard. But in while I was working there, um, I, I started learning a lot. Not just from uh, experience, you know, I would learn from the labels' mistakes that I worked with. Um, we would be talking about what their priorities were and what was happening in terms of marketing drivers and sales points that were uh, being funneled through me into reports to be able to give to our sales reps, to be able to get buyers at the major chains to bring in more product for the field inventory. Um, and uh, what I think was also a big thing was just osmosis, listening to my bosses talk and have conversations with them. They put me in their office um, I had a desk. It was a tiny little desk with a tiny little computer, but I basically heard everything that was going on. Um, every argument, every every victory, every lawsuit, every everything. 
you know, and it was every negotiation of every contract, uh, you know, so hearing all that and then hearing the opinions and they would always ask me for my opinion. I was just some kid off the street. Like, I don't know why I think maybe they just wanted a fresh perspective on, on things. And, um, just being a part of that process allowed me to, uh, get my feet wet in seeing possibilities and being able to learn from those possibilities and help shape a direction ultimately that, you know, would be my company's first success, which was mushroom head. Um, and then when that blew up, it basically came to the point where they took me aside and said, Chris, you know, you're making more money for us with this one record and your label than you're making by working here. Why don't you do this full time and you can multiply that and scale it up and we'll all make more. So I was like, you know, okay, I did. And it was a little scary because, you know, I lost my medical insurance, you know, and I lost my 401. Well, my 401k stopped getting contributions, right? Because like the way Eclipse is set up, it's a subchapter S corporation. So I pay myself as a shareholder disbursement as opposed to, you know, the normal way. So I do the taxes every quarter and all that stuff. So. You know, all those perks that kind of happened with being under an umbrella of someone else kind of went away. But I really got into the trenches and started to be able to um, steer my ship to the way that I wanted to. And uh, taking those experiences at Big Daddy and applying them to pretty much everything I've done to this point. And learning a lot along the way. I'll say, like, I'm learning new things every day, even now. You know, I remember when I started this. Uh, brick and mortar retail was accounting for probably 90% of our revenue. Um, then it was a big shift to transition to downloads when iTunes came about. Um, and then, you know, the shift in consumption habits of consumers from downloads to streaming has come full force. And that's pretty much where everything is now. You know, so seeing those three major changes in the industry, their disruptions in reality, um, you know, learning from that first disruption was a it was a challenge. What's up, bud? That was, that was a first. Hello. Hey, what's up? I'm I miss hearing you on the podcast. I haven't heard you for a while. What's up? You, I'm Chris. Yeah, heard you for a while. Chris, what's record? Hey, it's nice to meet you, Chris. It's nice to meet you too. What's on your shirt? It's a bunch of Mario. Oh, Mario. Yeah, yeah I remember. Mario okay, cool. My my daughter and I play Mario Kart together. Hey. <laughs> yeah, he's been in, in the school, but you're like what on lunch now? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I got my daughter working in the office too. She's doing remote too. <laughs> and yeah, my wife is working at one of my employees' desks. My daughter's working at another one's because they're all remote now, and you know they're all remote here. It's just like it's the whole world we live in now. <laughs> I know. Um, uh, speaking yeah. of which, you were talking about uh, changes in the world and disruptions. And speaking of which, twenty uh, twenty had a big disruption, I imagine, yeah. for, for the company and for the music industry as, as, at large. So, I mean, having been in the industry since the time of selling cassette tapes at Tower Records to what is a cassette tape and what is Tower Record? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know. either exists anymore, right? <laughs> you know, um, I guess take us through that, or maybe more importantly, take us through twenty twenty. Like, what does what does Eclipse Records look like today? Like, what what is a record contract for a band that you're signing uh, today look like? Well, I mean, it 
really depends on what that band is and what kind of leverage they have, you know, what they're bringing to the table. A band that is really established, that has a significant sales history of transactional data that we can verify and really see is, is something that is, you know, there's a fire already going and we're just pouring gas on that fire to expand it carries a very different contract from one that is literally a brand new band that is putting out their first record that nobody has ever heard of right so one is a lot harder to get going than the other so one is much more risky than the other you know so and then you have everything the whole scope of what's in between that you know, so some bands will do deals where we're putting up in advance, we're putting them in the studio, we give them a video budget, tour support, merchandising deal. Other bands, it's literally, you know, you're hiring us to help you develop and build the brand. And if we can get it to a certain point, then we can upgrade to a traditional deal. And then there's things in between that. You know, so what, what I found over the years, I'd say until about six or seven years ago, We would get, you know, we've always, I've been really lucky. We've always gotten a lot of demo submissions. I never have to go looking for bands ever. I haven't ever been like that ever since our first big hit band. The submissions just, we get about 300 a month easy and they never end and they're from all over the world. So there's a, there's a whole ton of stuff for me to go through and I don't get to go through most of it. It just comes in too fast. But when I'm looking for new stuff, I do it in batches and I hammer through as much as I can. And then I start dialogues with those bands. And, you know, what uh, I forgot where I was going with that, but um, you well, know, I got questions. What, it's OK. OK, cool. Yeah. When uh, when I go through those, I figure I look for bands that, you know, have music that I can get passionate about. They're producing something that sounds great and is ready to go, and they're able to execute their vision on their own. You know, so what I'm not looking to like handle bands' art design and their social media stuff. I work with bands that can do things on their own. I can really blow that up and take it to the next level. You know, sometimes like I have bands that um, they ask like, "Well, you know, what does a record label do, or what can you do for us that we can't do for ourselves?" and I can name a lot of things because, you know, there really is. There's, there's relationships of people we have with press, people we have at radio, um, podcasters, YouTubers, playlisters. You know, we have relationships with those people, be able to pitch them that stuff so they can reach their people. You know, it's not just us reaching each fan individually. We do that directly through social media and newsletters and advertising and marketing, but also a big part of building the brand and getting exposure for these bands to create more awareness uh, is you know, reaching out to people at press and radio and getting them to reach out and tell their people about it. You know, some publications and websites have a very big reach. Others have a very small reach. But really, what's most important to me is to be able to parlay whatever that reach is into a press kit that we can show more people to get more people on board. Mm. Right. So every bit of coverage, every bit of um, things that we're aware of, we try to share and um, we log them into spreadsheets and we relay those spreadsheets and marketing drivers to our reps at our distribution company that distributes Eclipse. And um, between the two of us, we team and we help build those things and get it further. You know, so 
being able to execute, you know, just what is, um, you know, the band brings to us, right? Like I'm not too involved in, you know, I think you should have like a booklet or this or that, you know, I, at earlier stages, I try to stay away from physical product actually, because it's just not cost effective anymore in the early stages. Once there's a sales history and there's serious demand for product, then it starts to become, mm-hmm. it starts to make sense because the profit margin is so much bigger than, you know, other things like streaming and downloading. But I, uh, you know, it, it doesn't make much sense for doing a run of a thousand discs if we're only going to sell a hundred of them, you know? So you got to really, you got to, you got to get it to the point where it makes sense first. Um, yeah, I'm rambling a bit and I lost track of what I wanted to say. It's uh, okay, Chris. I, I was going somewhere for you. Yeah, and, no, uh, it, it works. I mean, one of the two things that I'm, I'm hearing a lot are number one is passion. You something you want to be passionate about there for the band should be passionate as well. Uh, and then something else as well that you said that I think would scare a lot of bands that are listening in right now is wait a minute, this sounds very um, logical. I need to have transaction data. I need to have uh, stats that I can actually show you. I need to have, you know, it's like how many times as a band you're so concentrated on making the music or or getting the mix right or whatever, did you stop and go, can I show this record label proof that we made, you know, X number of dollars last year or whatever the case may be? Right. Yeah, it's... That's really important because, you know, for so many years, I remember where I was going now. For so many years, I used to just work with bands just based on if I fell in love with their music or not. You know, and that was in the early days when you could gamble big and you could get a big payoff. Right. You know, I I would do that. I would literally fly across the country to go see a band, spend a weekend with them fall in love with their music, see what's really going on in their scene in their local hometown. Uh, stay at a hotel, go to the local record stores, see their st- CD in the store on consignment, see their picture on the local entertainment paper on the newsstands, you know, like, hear them on the radio, like those things, go out, sign them, give them a hundred thousand dollar check to record me a new album and then put their record out. And that would be like, you know, I would do one band, two bands a year, you know, um, as things you know, changed, you know, it, there were those types of bands that I could find that had that type of stuff going on were very far and few in between. You know, there was a lot of stuff getting submitted to us, bands that were great, but nobody knew who they were. And getting a band from that stage to the point where it makes sense to write a hundred thousand dollar check, you know, which we don't write anymore really at all. Yeah, say, <laughs> those yeah, days are over. That's yeah. 20 years ago, Chris. Uh, yeah, it was 20 years ago. Um, <laughs> But, you know, it, the difference between getting something going versus getting something to go faster, right? I, I use a lot of analogies when I'm talking to, so if they don't make sense, just hit me and let me know. Hmm. Um, but, you know, th- it's a big, it's a world of difference, right? So we were getting all these submissions from all these bands. A lot of them were crap, but a lot of them were really good. They just, nobody knew who they were, and I couldn't risk signing them because they just had not been developed yet at that point. Um, and, and that's when, you know, maybe about five or six years ago, I started saying like, you know, these great, I, I got sick and tired over 20 years, man. Some of my favorite bands are bands that nobody ever heard of. Mm-hmm. It's just some, I remember this one band they broke up, you know, 15 years ago called B, B, E. They were like an alternative rock band. They could have been bigger than Radiohead. They were amazing. Um, nobody ever heard of them. 
You know, I wanted to sign them, but I didn't know what to do with them. Uh, nobody really knew what was going on with them. I couldn't risk taking that kind of risk with the label to develop them. Um, yeah, I could go on and on with other bands like that, too. They just, you know, I couldn't step out with Eclipse because they didn't have that transactional history there that made sense for me to be able to take that kind of risk financially on them. So we would pass on those bands. What do but you then think? eventually, well, and eventually I started like saying, why pass on those great bands? Why not find a way to work with them where I'm not taking that much risk? And if I can get them to the point where I'm more comfortable with taking that risk, that's great because I'm building the relationship with them. They're learning what it's like to work with me and my employees. They're seeing that we really do bust our ass and make things happen for them. And by the time it gets to that point, we've already got that relationship there. And then we don't have to worry about a bidding war with other labels and those types of things, which, you know, are a big pain in the ass too. So, um, but yeah, that's, you know, that's why I started doing those development deals with, you know, the really new bands because it makes sense because they're great bands. People need to hear them, but I'm just not ready to take that risk on them. But when I can get them to that point where it makes sense, then I'm there. I'm curious because why do you think that is that you've come across this band? I'm sure other people have come across this band, but they're not heard. What what inspires a band or what causes a band say to be better than Radiohead? But how did Radiohead explode? And these guys didn't. What what do you? So many bands. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I I think that you know this business um is a lot like playing roulette in the casino like you do everything right you get your chips down you place your bet before the dealer says all bets are off and you know spins that wheel you do everything right but sometimes it happens and sometimes it doesn't mm -hmm. you know what happens what works for one band may not work for the next band and what didn't work for the past 10 bands may be the one thing that blows up that next band so what's important is to have an overall idea or plan of doing being guided by what you know can work and trying to maximize the amount of chances to be able to parlay that into some sort of traction which you can then build upon and give a stronger push you know i, I think one thing a lot of bands and this is another reason why bands need a label or a PR firm, or a management company, someone who has experience, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be a label, um, but people who are experienced and connected. Um, you know, one thing, I think some bands, early bands, lose their sight in that, oh, if we could just get that, you know, song on Sirius XM, then we'll blow up and we'll be the biggest thing. Or if we could just <laughs> get that album review in Metal Injection, you know, or Loudwire, you know, and that's great when those things can happen, but that in of itself doesn't necessarily equate to a fan base or sales or anything other than being able to say, we did that, yep. you know? So, and I learned this at big daddy too, was, um, you know, you need to hit a lot of different angles before someone will make sense. You know, my, my old boss, Bert, he used to use this, um, scenario to explain it to me. And other label managers when he was telling them what to do. And, you know, it was kind of like you wake up in the morning and you're drinking your coffee and reading the newspaper and you turn the page and there's the ad for your local Best Buy and you see like, you know, 
that uh, yeah, that genus or genus day for sale. You know, so, uh, never heard of them. You close it. You get in your car. You're driving to work. Turn on the radio. You know, and I'm using it in old school terms, but I can apply it to now. Like you turn on your Spotify and, you know, in your daily discovery, oh, there's Genus or Dina's Day. What is that? That's a cool song. You look Genus. Oh, I just heard that. I saw that on Best Buy this morning. You know, maybe I'll go buy it, you know. Um, and then you're at work, you're at the office and, you know, you get your newsletter from something and there's that band again. It's like, I got to pay attention to that band now, you know, because that person is hit from three different independent channels. And that's like what we're all trying to do as labels and marketers. It's not just like get something in front of people, get something in front of people again and again from different ways. So they start thinking that, you know what, maybe my time is worth checking that band that I never heard of out and listening to them. And then hopefully they like it enough to be able to uh, convert to either, you know, a follow on Apple Music or Spotify or Pandora or you know a, a CD purchased through the mail order or a download on iTunes or even just like a subscription to the newsletter, you know it it it, it really is about trying to make those things and that's why like things are so great now. Well, they're great now, but they're also more difficult now. But that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> but you know, you you're putting people through a marketing funnel through social media with retargeting pixels and being able to like say like, oh, you checked out this band over here. And then hit them from somewhere else. Like, here's that band again. You know, you want people to try to think that they're missing the boat and everybody else is talking about it. And that's ultimately like what every marketer's um, mission is, is mm -hmm. to try to make people pay attention. And it's hard to pay attention. I think the like perfect example, Gohira, one of my favorite bands. But how many times did I hear of that band before I actually listened to them and checked them out? A lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I oh, just, yeah. oh, that's a cool, cool name. Yeah, never, never listened to them. Maybe six months of hearing their name. It took me before I checked them out. Like, holy cow, what have I been missing? Yeah, you know. So I think that you know that's really the mission because our time is valuable, and we're spoiled, and we like to do what we like to do. We all wear blinders, but being able to make people take those blinders off and look at something or listen to something that they don't want to—that's really what we have to try to do. Yeah. And you know, we've been doing that full time for twenty years, whereas a band they can do it but they have to learn how to do it mm, makes sense uh one question i had and then i know you're a busy guy so we'll let you get back to doing that thing full-time that you do um but you mentioned getting 300 submissions a month and i know what that's like i'm behind on my email right now and it's probably going to take me a couple of days yeah. just to get caught up on my email um like i give a band Probably two seconds, like actually about two seconds. And if they, uh, and I know that sounds aggressive, but if you pause for two no. seconds, it's, it's a long time. Yeah. Uh, so my question is what, what is a, I've, I'm a band. I've submitted a demo to you. How much time do I have with you if I have time and what is going to excite you? What, what should I be submitting? Right. So we have a form that I built on our website. Um, it's eclipserecords.com slash submit, I think, or demo. Um, you, know, you can also find it through the contact section on the menu. And uh, on this submission form, we're basically asking them for a couple of things. We want to see their Facebook, their Twitter, their Instagram, their Spotify profile. Um, we want them to, uh, you know, sometimes they don't have those and that's okay. Um, they just click none. Uh, but we want to also, you know, do you have an unreleased album? You know, a link to your unreleased music. 
you know, something that they recorded that's ready to go that they didn't release yet. There's an option for that. That's a big, important thing for us. Um, but also, you know, I think for me, what's most important is what are your expectations of a record company? And also list some things that set you apart from all the other bands we get submissions from. What makes your band special? You know, and things I look for in that is uh, realistic expectations. You know, so if it's a band that it literally has, you know, they started a month ago and they're expecting like a big hundred thousand dollar check. check. Yeah. Yeah. It's just no matter how good the band is, <laughs> they don't get it. They don't understand how the industry even close to work. So I usually will not even go to listen to that band. Um, right. But if they have reasonable expectations and um, they, they don't have to have accomplished a lot. But just hearing what they think is a big deal. It allows me to kind of get a vibe on um, not just how reasonable they would be, but also uh, how hard they work and what they're able to accomplish on their own without our help. So, you know, I look at a band that can do this on their own without our help. And I say, if they could do that on their own with us, they could do 10 times more. You know, so, so those are some things. And then while I'm reading that, I look at their Facebook page. I want to see what they look like. Um, images, you know, I, I remember being in a band. It shouldn't be about image. It should just be about the music. But image is a big part of selling a band because uh, the image of the band and what they look like is like the cover of a book. You don't open that book if the cover art doesn't look cool. You don't listen to that album if the art doesn't look cool. Um, you don't check out that band and become a fan of them if they don't look cool. Right. So, you know, I, I want to see what they look like. I want to see what the engagement is like on their social media. I use a couple tools that you know, other record companies and friends at um, radio stations and press use to try to, you know, they, they are plugged into the APIs of all the social media companies, as well as a lot of the streaming DSPs. And it's able to give a big picture type of dashboard. It's called Chartmetric. And there's a couple others, but you're able to see like the big picture of what's really happening out there. Um, with bands and stuff to be able to kind of quantify what's going on with them on a big picture scale. Um, I'll look at that. I might pull a sound scan on them. Um, yeah, but that data usually isn't all that because those bands would have been signed already usually when they got sound scan data collected on yeah. them. Yeah. Uh, but, um, you know, and then I'm listening to the music because yeah, for, for me, it's, it's gotta be about the music. But everything else has to be there underneath the music. Otherwise, you know, a, a great band without the right mindset of band members behind it is going to have a really hard time getting traction. So those things have to kind of be there and, you know, it makes sense. But also, um, the music's got to be great. You know, sometimes mm -hmm. what I'll do is I'll just start playing the music while I'm reading those things and while I'm looking at to try to be more efficient with my time. I'll maybe give a minute. To each submission before i can say yay or nay some i'm right away i can see like no it's not but some like i'll stick with and i might even listen to the whole album i mean like this is really good i'll just keep it on while i'm working yeah you know and then and and then i might reach out to them later. um i guess it kind of really depends maybe it's maybe it's a bit of um a gamble too with when a band submits it whether or not they get me in the right mood you know if i'm in a hurry yeah. or if i'm if I've got a lot of time on my hands, I might give a little more. Maybe that first song wasn't so great, but the second song is, you know. So I, I would say there's no set um, thing for 
qualifications or criteria, but it's kind of general guidelines more than rules. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So I will have the website up on the show notes for today. Uh, oh, cool. Yeah. Clipsrecords.com. Bam. And then speaking of that image, we've got hearts and hand grenades. They've got an image. Those boys, genus or genus day, they're a whole nother image. Yeah, amazing what they did with that whole album, huh? <laughs> oh, a I video know. for every song. It's a movie. They all go together to make a movie. Um, yeah, yeah, it's amazing. I know. And they did it all while they were locked down in Italy. Yeah. Why well, they couldn't afford good beer when I was chatting with them because they had, <laughs> they had horses. Yeah. Uh, Parts and Hand Grenades is in the studio now. They're doing a new album already. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, yeah we chatted about, uh, what was it, blueberry barbecue sauce hot wing. That's what we chatted yeah. about. So Buffalo is big for hot wings. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Sweet. So we chatted about an awful lot of stuff here, Chris. Um, we chatted about beginning a record label the last 20 years or so of the music industry. We've chatted about, um, you know, flying around on private jets and things that don't happen anymore uh, in the music industry. Uh, risks of signing bands, getting your band heard. Why, why your band needs a record label or uh, PR or somebody with uh, what I will call an extensive amount of relationships built up over years of trust. Yeah. Um, that I myself have learned over the last five years of doing the podcast, that music industry is built almost entirely on relationship. Yeah. Um, and chatted about 2020 a bit. Gabe's came in and we chatted about some fan bam stuff. Now your family is uh, working for free right now. I think uh, from, yeah. from, from the hub. <laughs> They're not working for me. I wish they were, but <laughs> nah. My my guys are working remote, uh, Kitty and Dave. But yeah, it's it's a whole new world, man. <laughs> Beautiful. Was there anything that maybe I didn't ask that you wanted to mention or anything like that? No, no. I think it's just cool talking with you finally and getting to meet and you know being emailing with you for so many years and always paying attention to the bands. I appreciate it, but it's nice to actually get to talk to you for once, you know, mm-hmm. absolutely. Well, and then speaking of social media, cause you guys are always uh, hitting up the social media channels. If I look at my stats, my, some of my top ranking episodes outside of obviously like larger bands, like Nightwish or soil work or something. Um, a lot of my top ranking uh, interview is eclipse. Cause you guys are always, oh, cool. you guys are always pounding that pavement. That's great to hear. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, it's nice to see or hear that the, that's helping um, and get the word out because I, I think it's really important that we're able to help the people that help us. Um, that's a big part of what we try to do is anybody who covers our bands, we get them in the queue, we get those posts shared to socials and drive traffic to those reviews or to those interviews. Um, yeah, and I, I think that uh, it, it, it's good to hear that. People are actually clicking those links and going there. I believe so. That's that's my theory because I was looking at the stats. I was like, man, all my top episodes are Eclipse bands, and I know that they're great bands. But could there be a more logical reason other than they're a great band? It could be a bit of both. Yeah, I mean, who knows? You know? Yeah, yeah. They could just be really good interviews. I think so. <laughs> you know, I'll say one thing that's really cool. Like, I, I always listen to your interviews at my bands because you know when I'm onboarding a band and I'm doing like you know the initial bio rewrite if i'm talking too long just cut me off you know mm-hmm. um but if uh yeah when i'm doing that initial bio rewrite, i try to interview the bands and try to get some information from them about things because they don't really know what to include in a bio we want to you know include interesting things in the bio so people cover them 
Yeah. Um, but it, I always learn something new about my bands when I listen to your interviews with them. And I always like tell the band, like, why didn't you tell me about that? Like, we could have used that in the bio and it could have helped sell your record. And like, oh, wow, I didn't think of that. You know, okay, well. well yeah. Glad, glad I'm here to help, Chris. Cool. Me too. All right. Well, thank you so much then for coming on to the Rock Metal Podcast today. Thanks for having me.